0: George, How you doing, sir. I'm good. How are you? Good, thank you. Yeah. It's a beautiful day out. It really is, yeah. I love the heat. I love the heat too. These fires are a bit of a concern. Yeah. There's some fires where we live, people. Reminds me of Australia. Yeah. Feels like home. But um, no, weather's great. Life's good. Life is good. Yeah. Yes, it is. So let's uh let's get to know who I know who you are, but um, you know, for the listeners out there, we're gonna you know, it's a bit, you're, a bit more, you're a bit of a special guest uh, today because we normally, um, you know, we interview the youth in our care. We both work for an establishment. And you uh, have just come on to within our program at Solo with Supports. How's that transition been from your previous program? It's good. I like,
1: you know, learning new things. So uh, it's more hands-on work with kids, which is
0: what I missed for a long time. Mm. It's what I needed. Yeah. So... Yeah, because, yeah, your previous program's more family work, is it not? Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And was that the first time you've done sort of the family side of things when you went over to CSD? Uh, Yeah. I mean, yeah, the majority
1: of my time working around, you know, youth and care has been, you know, facility-based. So a lot of that hands-on intentional work with kids. On a day-to-day basis, having fun,
0: having a good time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They respond to that. Yeah. I think to to get that connection, you know, the relationship building, all that sort of stuff, you got to have somewhat of a personality as well. You do. Yeah. Yeah. So, for the listeners, you know, who don't know you, let's hear your story. Sort of where were you born, and and start from there. And okay. Yeah.
1: Well, I'm from Nova Scotia, specifically. The Halifax, Dartmouth area, I grew up in the system. I was apprehended when I was five due to physical child abuse and neglect. Uh, I went through the system for uh, what feels like eons, home, foster home, back home, foster home. I went what you guys call here in Alberta, I went PGO when I was 12.
0: So anyone who doesn't understand that, that's pretty much the government now is your guardian. Absolutely. Yeah. It's permanent guardianship order here.
1: Back home, you're called a ward of the court.
0: A ward of the court. Ward of the court. Hmm. So in that scenario, do you have, I know one youth who had the same caseworker throughout his whole time in care. Mm -hmm. Were you so lucky? No. No? Oh my God, no. See, sorry. For the
1: most part, like, if you sum up the 14 years as a whole, I had one caseworker for the majority but I did flip-flop back and forth when, yeah. you know, went to certain placements for whatever reason. Mm. Yeah, so it was kind of all over the place. I can remember, you know, four four or five caseworkers off the top of my head that worked directly with me.
0: Yeah. Yep. Wow. Uh, yeah, I just find that, that part would be... Especially difficult. I imagine there was one in particular that you preferred or whatever. Now looking back as an adult, you say, oh, this one had my best interest or this one was trying something that didn't work.
1: That one I'm still in touch with.
0: Yeah. 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 yeah he's uh, He's been
1: retired for a year. He's got some medical stuff going on, but he was always the one that, you know, always did whatever he could to try to help me out. Yeah. Considering, you know, all the red tape that surrounds hmm. the government yeah. You know, social workers can only do so much, especially when they're pounded with files and pounded with work and pounded with cases. And, you know, this is some of the stuff that overwhelms our system on, you know, a frequent basis that hasn't been mm. solved over yeah. the
0: last, what, still 25
1: isn't. years. It still isn't solved. Yeah. I've been in care. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's, that's crazy. I don't know just to think of like going to different homes, group homes. Do you go to group homes? Yeah. Yes, sir.
1: Yeah. Once I, uh, was in my last foster home, I think, around the age of 15. It was in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Right out in the middle of the country. That didn't work out because, you know, at the time, I'm, I was a city kid. Yeah. And I just didn't mesh well with country folk. And <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I ended up moving back to the city and started living in group homes because, I mean, what foster parent wants to take in a teenager? who's already pretty much set in their ways at that point. Right, right. And I wasn't, because of everything that I've been through, all the trauma and attachment issues and all my placement moves. I mean, when I was 15 years old, I wasn't, I sure as hell wasn't the person I am today.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, we see, we work with a lot of youth. I mean, I've, I've worked in countless group homes as staff, and you see teenagers who have been through the system and been through countless placements and you can see like they know how to operate they know how to oh, yeah. get things that's a defense mechanism to take care of themselves and 100%. and to not be messed with or fucked with you know absolutely yeah did you find it what was the most challenging part of that journey i mean all of it sounds like completely challenging yeah but what was probably the worst scenario you're in in care it could be treatment could be just the general Holy, like that's a. That's a pretty broad question. Yeah. And
1: it's hard for me to really narrow it down. Yeah. I remember um, one foster home I was in and out of in between grade four. How old was I at that time? 10-ish to the end of grade seven. I was in and out of this one foster home. And the school that I went to, I was just relentlessly bullied and it was relentless. Mm. Um, And it was, it was to the point where um, I would go home with bruises and welts. Mm. Um, I went to school with this group of kids who were on a, like a Dartmouth citywide youth hockey team. Oh shit. And one time they thought it was a good idea to play. Good lord. And, you know, during my time in this one particular foster home, a lot of the things that the foster parents did contributed to me being bullied at school. And I'll give you an example. Every Sunday, they had me set out one shirt and one pair of pants to wear to school all week. So I got bullied a lot for wearing the same clothes all the time. Mm. I was called stinky kid and... Like kids can be harsh too, especially, you know, Hmm. you know, when it comes to brand names and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was called Sticky Kid and people made fun of me because I wore hand-me-down clothes and, you know, it it was a tough time. And when I would try to have conversations with these foster parents about these items- and basically say, hey, nobody wears the same clothes to school you put for t- an entire week. Yeah, you put they, a target on my back. They brushed it. They brushed it off. Like mm. the sneakers that I wore were too small and hurt my feet, but they didn't want to, you know, spend money on an extra pair of shoes. Mm. You know, to even get me shoes that fit my feet
0: properly, right? Jesus. Yeah, it's literally like putting the, like a target on your back, right? Really, essentially, yeah. Yeah. As if, yeah, you know, as if it's not hard enough already, but then there's there's that element of it where it's like, yeah. Yeah. So going back to where you've, you know, you've been to countless different placements. So I imagine that means countless different schools as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Jeez, yeah. I mean, even just transitioning, just thinking about my, you know, we don't call it junior high in Australia. We just call it public school and then to high school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, I just remember going to a new high school, but I'm still transitioning with all my friends, so yeah. it's not that big a deal. Yeah. Couldn't imagine entering school... Countless times, and having to sort of reintroduce yourself, sort of start fresh, and All then the try time. to make connections with people and try to find a place of fitting—that must have been quite rough, I imagine.
1: Yeah, yeah. Hmm. I remember uh, one time they moved me back with my parents for a short period of time, and I ended up at the you know the school I started out with. I think. Oh man, if I can remember, it was grade six for a short period, and I can remember what in the students who looked at me and said, why do you go away Mm. for long periods of time all the time? Mm. And I can't remember what my response was like because of all the, the, you know, and and it's, this is a regular thing that happens to kids that care. There's, you know, you go through so much trauma and so many issues with attachment, your mind kind of files everything in the back. Mm. And I got a lot of things I can't remember. Yeah. That I'm currently trying to dig out in therapy because I want to know my timeline. I want to know what happened in all these blank spaces Mm. to try to, you know, piece myself together.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's a brave move because I think the mind has done that to protect yourself, to protect itself. Yeah. You are correct. Mm. Yeah. That's wild. So was there any sort of consistency? There's no consistency then at all. Like really, like even just even returning back to the original school and seeing some old friends, whatever, everyone's different now. Everything, you're different. Everything's moved on. Yeah. Yeah. Was there someone you could ground to? um, Or were you completely alone during this whole journey, essentially alone?
1: Well, essentially I was alone. I mean, when I would be placed in a foster home, I don't know what happened on the other end. I am assuming with the work that we do today, I'm assuming that social workers were in the background trying to work with my parents to try to make their situation better in order for me to come home. And I mean, I can't even tell you how many times that happened. Mm. It's well over 20. But I mean, with the work that we do today, I mean, how many times are you going to move a kid back home before you finally say this just isn't going to work. doesn't this work. Is yeah. Enough is enough. And mm. with me, things worked different back in the eighties. I mean, we're talking about, oh, yeah. I was apprehended in
0: 1986. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they, and the system still isn't, you know, hasn't figured itself out correctly, but no. it's getting better. There's different programs and there's more uh, research and stuff into it. Like, I mean, just thinking about our program, we've only recently got in family coordinators, family, yeah. uh, you know, support workers. Yeah. that are dealing with the, the the parents and the families one-on-one. Back when I started, that was kind of on the coordinator themselves to sort of manage the the parents and the youth. Yeah. Which, you know, sometimes worked. A lot of the time it did, but it's good to have that focus now, someone focused just on the parents Yeah, and trying to support them. 100%. Yeah. So, yeah, so you were 15 in a group home. Yeah. At this stage in your life, you're probably thinking like, fuck this, like, I'm just trying to find, and I will, you know, yeah. I know, I know it'll come out eventually, like, you know, what steered you in the right direction, but you had every reason to go in the other direction and say, fuck everyone, I'm going, you know, I, I don't owe anyone anything, and this is how I survive.
1: Well, I mean, if we back up a bit, like, you know, that piece where I said I was bullied relentlessly from mm-hmm. grade four to grade seven. Four to seven, that's that's wild. So it, it was like, in grade seven, there was a shift, And I kind of got sick of being bullied. Hmm. So I started to stick up for myself. And it was in unhealthy ways that I definitely shouldn't have done. And I, you know, I had these conversations with principals and stuff. Hey, like I get, and the principal said to me, to my face, you know, I get where you're coming from. I know your file was transferred here. I understand what you've been through Hmm. for so long, but the way you're going about trying to stick up for yourself is not the way you should have. And, mm. you know, reflecting back on that, its I totally get it. But then at the end of grade seven, you know, that was in the city at the end of grade seven. That's when I was transferred, you know, to a different foster home in the middle of nowhere. Mm. Nobody knew me. No foster parents knew me. No kids knew me. I, in wow. the drive on the drive to this first placement took an hour and 45 minutes to get there in the middle of nowhere. And, you know, I'm having these mental conversations with myself. Like I don't like what happened in the last four years. What can I do differently? And I looked at this because nobody knew who I was. I looked at it as an opportunity to reinvent Hmm. the wheel. Right. So when I showed up at this placement and I started going to these schools, I became a product of Everything that I had seen over the last four years, the, the people that bullied me, I, because that's all I knew, I took pieces of them and put it into myself. I became, you know, the class clown and I made fun of teachers and I made fun of kids and Hmm. I ended up making friends with the rebels and, but it worked because the previous seven years, I never got attention Hmm. from anybody. I never got attachment from anybody and then now people were starting to gravitate towards me. Right. And looking back on it, it was totally wrong group of people. But in a kid's mind, negative attention is better than no attention at all. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So I became, you know, what we would call a delinquent. Right. I caused trouble and mm. I did things that I shouldn't. And, you know, being 41 years old, looking back on everything, I did a lot of things that I regret. But mm. it was all a product of being raised the way I was raised.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's not even like I was similar and I have no excuses. Like I didn't go through the system. I had family that were there kind of thing. So yeah, we kind of end on the same path as in like cheeky in school, yeah. like, you know, being the smart ass, all yeah. that stuff. You had something to lean on that was legit. Like, yeah, but you knew deep down, okay, maybe these are the right things to do. Well, like, maybe I should be trying to better myself, or did that come with maturity with Tom? You don't even think about it at that. You know, I didn't
1: even think about that back then because I was just so soaked up in the attention. The attention. Mm. I had never got attention from anybody, from parents, from caregivers, from kids at school. And now all of a sudden, I had friends mm. and I was becoming the popular kid. Yeah. And I ran with it for a long, long time. Mm. And that's all I knew.
0: Yeah. It's a safety. It's protecting yourself once again. You know, it's a way to, uh, you know, get get through it all. At what point did you sort of really have to sort of have that conversation with yourself? Like, okay, this is either going to put me in jail or I need to change and and make some better choices. Oh, it was years. I mean, we're jumping way ahead of things. (laughs) Oh, that's too early with a question. Let's back it up then. So I mean,
1: because things didn't work out in this country area, I ended up in three different placements
0: alone. Out of out of the country though, like you, they, yeah, how long did that last? The country side of things in a
1: two year span, I was in three different placements
0: in the country though, like in, in the, the same country, community, kind in of in this
1: same community. Mm. Yeah, and then I ended up moving back to the city, and that's when I started living in group care, and that's when it's how do I explain it? In group care, there's a pecking order. Mm. So the longer you're in group care, the bigger of a dog you are. Yeah. Especially if your group friends are in, you know, small circles, it's like prison. The more time you're in, Hmm. the higher you are up on the ladder. Yeah. And because I was in care for so long, I was one of the big boys. And it was at a time where I had thoughts a lot. Mm -hmm. I think because of all the placement moves I just, you know, I thought like a lot of the kids that we work with today think like, and I was like, is this shit ever going to change?
0: Yeah. Like, is it
1: going to get better? Yeah. Like, I spent a week in a psych unit Mm. because my thoughts were so heavy. But because I was so smart, I knew as soon as I entered the, the doors of the unit, I knew what I had to do to get out of there. So I fed them information they wanted to hear. Yeah, just tell them what they need just to hear, right? Eh? Just tell yeah. them what they need to hear so I can get the hell out of there. And
0: mm. What's well, a place like that? I mean, obviously, they take the measures to protect you from harming yourself. Yeah. Um, medication, I imagine. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, back in the 60s, anything like that, you can be put in, chucked in an institution for years and years and sort of, and yeah. that's how you sort of expire in a place like that. So, obviously, things are different now. Yeah, thankfully. yeah. But you're like, okay, no, this ain't this ain't going to be the, the situation here. I need to tell them what they need to hear. I need to get out. Yeah, that's exactly what I did. Just still feeling so and yeah. still feeling these thoughts. Yeah, mm. I
1: spent my 16th birthday sitting at a group home table with a cake in front of me, with no staff and no friends and no family. Mm. That's like, rough. Yeah, who wants to go through something like that? Yeah, yeah. It was like one of the, one of the things I'll never forget. Hmm. It's like Christmas. Who who wants to spend Christmas in a group home? Yeah. it's You know, you have parents that as a kid growing up, kids want presents, 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 presents. And, you know, as a parent, you reiterate, well, okay, okay, yeah, there's presents, but it's about family. It's about spending time with one another. Mm. It's about, you know, making these memories. And then you're told that your whole life. And then you come to this group home and there's no family and there's no friends and there's no
0: nothing. It's very style. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah.
1: So I was a kid that, you know, I started to eat well a lot. Hmm. Like I found this group of friends in the city, and at the time, they had what I needed. There was that attachment.
0: Connection. Mm-hmm. That's when I leaned into alcohol, leaned into drugs. Did you find that numbed the pain a little and just sort of, you know? It was For a lot of us, it's like a coping mechanism. Even though the effects
1: of drugs only last a short period of time, it's a short period of time where we can forget everything around us. Mm. And that's what a lot of us look for. Yeah. We don't want to remember the trauma and the abuse and Mm. the neglect, which haunt us, especially like with me. With a lot of kids in care today, they don't get the proper treatment that they need from Mm. an early age, which
0: your memories follow you around. Yeah, exactly. Right? So Mm. it's difficult. Yeah, and that's where the cycle is. And until you really find the root of the problem, you know, diagnose what needs to be done or the intense therapy that needs to really take place, the counseling and then the dissecting. Yeah. It's always going to be an issue. Yeah. Yeah. Did you venture on that road for very long with drugs and alcohol? I was down that road from like,
1: 17 to, let's say, 23-ish. Because none of my placements had worked out ever. Mm. My social worker basically said, we're going to get you your own apartment, your own place to stay. We'll pay your rent. We'll pay your bills. Mm. And we'll we'll Good try luck.
0: that. Good luck. Kind of yeah. See how it goes. Yeah.
1: So like at the time, they would only pay for... I think it was like $350 a month for rent. And I mean, what's that going to get you? Yeah. That got me a room in the roughest in a place. rooming house in the roughest part of town. Mm. And this rooming house had eight rooms in it that were all shared. And almost everybody, you know, did heavy drugs, mm. crack, cocaine, meth. You like, you name it. It was, it was in that house. Yeah. And I was there. Mm. And, You know, I, I never, ever, thankfully I never touched heavy drugs. I always stayed away from it. And it it was, it was weird at the time because, you know, you're living in a rooming house, you're surrounded by all these addicts. Hmm. But I had really good conversations with these people. Yeah. It's almost like they respected the fact that I didn't want to do heavy drugs and Hmm. they never, ever asked me. That's good. You know, they never, ever tried to pressure me, nothing. And I had some really good conversations with these people. Hmm. That grounded me, which was good.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, it could have been, yeah, you probably saw the addiction in their eyes and and they probably knew that they, if they had the opportunity to maybe not make that decision way back when or whatever, they yep. might have, yeah, which is another path. So they didn't want to bring you down with them or whatever.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. I can remember, you know, this one particular group of friends I had doing deliveries. Oh, yeah. Of in the middle of the night, right? Bit of cash. Yeah, yeah. bit of cash. Um, I was, by that time I was a tough kid. Hmm. So people leaned on me to help them out in tough situations. But what they didn't know is that I wasn't the tough kid. I never, oh, no, there was one time I almost never physically fought anybody. Hmm. I was smart enough to know that even at that time when I was that young, I could solve problems with words. It's how you portray those words. Mm. And when I used those words back in the day, I wasn't a nice guy. Mm. I wasn't. Yeah. But if I could use the right words to come across as a tough guy. Intimidating and yeah. Yeah, I could solve problems and that's what I did.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's another indication and evidence of just that survival mode where it's like, I need to do this to get to this. 100%. And this is what I have to do. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of acting in general, like, I mean, Mm. you would have had to put on so many faces throughout this whole experience. Absolutely. Yeah. So once you're on your, so this is you living in in this independent place somewhat, you got, you know, a a community around you um, for bad or for worse. What's the next step after that? Like, are you still in the same town at this point? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I was in Dartmouth and uh, yeah, I seen a lot of bad stuff. Mm. When I lived in this house in this one particular neighborhood, yeah, just, I remember I lived in the room in the front of the house. So I had the, the big picture window on one of the main streets in the city. And the way that it worked is, you know, the main door, you have the hallway, you go down the hallway and the house is lined with rooms, right? Mm. So the main hallway going to everybody's rooms was right outside my door. I had that front window looking out on the street. I remember one night it was like two o'clock in the morning. I heard this banging crashing out in the hallway and then the front door opened and slammed and it woke me up and I, you know, I peeked out of the, the window and I seen this guy. Was standing there. He had his back towards me. He was staggering. He had his phone up. He was trying to call somebody and I'm like, oh, this guy's drunk. Hmm. And then he slowly turned around and he had a... Oh, Jesus. So somebody in my house had <"S-> Oh my God. He survived, luckily. I don't know how you get mm. a life and live, but <laughs> wow. But uh, this place that I lived in, this was a place I aged out of care. Mm. You know, I got a letter in the mail. I turned 19. They all told me it was coming. I wasn't doing anything productive, I wasn't going to school. I got a letter in the mail saying, You're no longer associated with community
0: services. See you later. The end. And then that would have cut the finance, financial support they had for your rent and all that all stuff. All gone. Jesus. Because typically, I mean, especially back in those days, the age for aging out, yeah. PJ would have been what, 20, 24 or 5, isn't it?
1: It's different per province back home was 19. Oh, 19.
0: I okay, so at 19. So 19. Yep. How'd you feel? Was that a, a sense of relief or like another, a-, a sh- Another sh- sense of loss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I guess there's Just a case where financial work.
1: piece was gone. Yeah, I mean, in a roundabout way, nothing else was different. I mean, I didn't see my social work social worker often because he's so swamped. Mm. I mean, when you're a social worker and you have 40 cases with 40 high risk kids and families going through crisis and
0: trauma, and like, mm. how can they maintain a relationship and anything have your best interest? Yeah, jeez, oh, I. So you would have been, yeah, just like, okay, what do I do now? I was, yeah. So I just work, tried to,
1: you know, make a a shitty resume and try to get some work, and I ended up homeless at one point, and I was in the line at the food bank. Yeah, we did that. Mm. I'm very familiar. I remember pandering for money on Spring Garden Road with cups. And sleeping in the graveyard next to Pizza Corner, huddled up in a blanket next to a tombstone. Wow. Sleeping in abandoned buildings in Shannon Park. Yeah.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I did that for a long time. And less services too than what we have now. Like there's places you can go, there's shelters and stuff like that. But you you were really like... Yeah, less resources, less supports out there. Yeah. Government and, funded support.
1: Well, I mean, and everything's so different too from province to province.
0: Yeah. I've never been out there, so I have no idea what it's like out there, and especially in those days. Was it less or more? There was way less. There yeah. was
1: no like CSD or you yeah. know, no partners or mm.
0: anything like that, right? So yeah. it was difficult. And yeah. Yeah. Even the foster care system in the eighties is notorious about some of the bad stuff that went down, you know, like just that yeah. time. From, yeah, it's all yeah. I mean the um the screening of who, who's gonna be a foster parent was you know it's pretty much just like you want this gig then sign up here, you yeah. know? Yeah. Yeah, that's basically it. Yeah. So shit, like literally sleeping on the streets, going to the food bank like, yeah. Yes, sir. Making fake resumes though. There's a you had the uh the desire to try to better yourself. Like, okay, well there's got to be some sort of opportunity out there.
1: Always. Yeah. I mean there was you know, there was one point where, you know, I had this group of friends that committed a lot of crimes, did a lot of stuff they they shouldn't have been doing. And mm. I started getting those gut feelings like, you shouldn't be doing this, like back mm. up a little bit. So at, at one point I left everybody in the dust. I got a different group of friends. And, and I mean, then I started going down a different route for a couple of years. I became an alcoholic and mm. I was at the bar every single day, drunk. Yeah. Tuesday to Sunday, I was drunk every day at the bar yeah the only reason why i wasn't drunk on mondays is because the bars weren't open Mm. that's it so i did that for years years and years and years job to job trying to you know find myself i hated every job i've done everything i've worked at mcdonald's worked at zeller's i was a bouncer i was security i was a floor walker Mm. nothing like i wasn't happy with anything
0: yeah yeah i mean even just the fact that you've got such a wide range on your resume now, and hearing all those, like there's initiative there, though. There's something that in you is like, because you could have went down the path of crime and, you know, luck, likely ended up in jail, but it was made so a bit close. of money. Yeah. But you had that initiative in you, you had that drive. And I think that speaks to where you are in your life at the moment. But like, so the alcohol, drinking at bars, drinking at bars, yeah. numbing, you know, yeah. numbing your history. Absolutely. Making false memories. Yep. Yeah. Because, you know, with alcohol, you know, it's just. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. So barfly, you essentially became a barfly.
1: What do they call it back home? Barster. I bar- was a barster. A buster. Bar yeah, I was.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah barfly, yeah. Barster. Yeah. Yeah. So what happened then? Like, you did that for a few years, and then what? What was the next chapter? I had a kid.
1: I had a kid. Yeah. yeah. Met this girl, and uh, we still today have a very good relationship. And yeah. We had a short relationship back then. When we separated before we even knew she was pregnant, but uh she told me she was pregnant. And uh it was like in the moment I was like, I gotta be a better parent than what my parents were. Yeah. Like I gotta I gotta break the cycle somehow. Yeah. And that was so that was the initiative? That's part of it. Yeah. I think that was I think that was the beginning of change mm.
0: was my daughter. When I learned that I was having a child, I was petrified in the idea that I was, holy shit, I'm gonna, I I need to be responsible for someone else now. Oh I, my God. I can barely take care of myself.
1: So news delivery was, she came over to my house. My buddy was there with me and she was like, here, I got a Valentine's Day card for you. And I was like, oh, and open up this Valentine's Day card. I still have this card at home. And it says, uh, congratulations. I didn't know how to tell you this, but you were going to be a father. And I sat there and I stared at it and I didn't realize how long I stared at this card. She had to hit me and say, you know, what do you think? Like what what's going on upstairs? <laughs> and I said, uh, I said, I don't really know what I'm going to say, but I know what I'm going to do. And she, she was kind of, what are you going to do? And I went to the kitchen and I poured the biggest glass of rum I could straight downed it. <laughs> and I
0: was like, all right, time for fatherhood. Yeah. Time to step up.
1: Yeah. Mm. Yeah.
0: That was the beginning. Yeah. 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 There's no sort of uh reality check and then something like that. Eh? Like, okay, well. No. We've got to, we've got to review some things
1: here. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. That made me just start to reevaluate everything. Yeah. Everything. Hmm. Yeah. It was, I think that was the,
0: the pinnacle mm. of change for me. Yeah. was my daughter. Hmm. Have you ever told her that story? or you wait till she's a bit older. She's how old? Seventeen? Seventeen. Seventeen now. now yeah. yeah, she's going to prom next month. That's wild.
1: That is wild. yeah. You're,
0: you're telling me, proud papa. <laughs> I don't know if it's like one minute they're like babies, you know, like yeah, can't do anything for <laughs> themselves. The next minute they're like giving a shit about something. Oh, like, yeah. Oh, you know, oh
1: yeah. Like oh yeah. Taking to the
0: prom or what's like. Oh, yeah. You have, you have opinions like what?
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like you were like. Just a baby. Two, yeah. minutes ago, two minutes ago. Yeah. It's a wild journey when you have kids in it. Yeah. It's like, Jesus, this is this is beautiful, intense, insane. Like it's it's, yeah. it's a wild ride. It was. Wow. So then, okay, so you find out you're having a child. Yeah. Still, in the, you stayed in the same town. I did. And then the drinking, like that's that sounds like it would have been a pretty severe addiction. How did you get counseling for that? How did you get over that? Or how did you stop it? Or did you not stop it?
1: Once I found out I was going to have a child, I, uh, I just stopped. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. It was, that news was super powerful to me Mm. and made me want to, you know, start to tweak things. Yeah. And, you know, I started to work a little bit harder. I was able to grab a telemarketing job that I had for a long time. It was a couple of years. Nice. You know, trying to, it was the longest job I ever had at that time, trying to improve things and, you know, learn and teach myself things. And, Mm. you know, because of all the, you know, trauma and stuff that I grew up with, I learned to pay attention and I read rooms and Mm. I pay attention to body gestures and how people conduct themselves. And I analyze every single word that comes out of their mouth. Mm. And that's just a product of how I was raised. But I think that's how I learned to be a better person, how other people conduct themselves and the positivity they get with that. Okay, I need to do that mm. if I want to get positive reactions out of people.
0: Right. Come um, mimic. Yeah. 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 So you did that, you learned ways, you sort of embraced them. Yeah. Performed them. Yeah. And then that becomes you, becomes yep. a part of your personality. Yeah. Um, and then so you, what happened up to the that particular position, then you got another job somewhere. Can I this- ended up coming to Alberta. And why did you choose Alberta? Just more opportunity job was?
1: My best friend at the time has family that works for a big construction agency out here. And he had decided to come out and, you know, try something different. Mm-hmm. And he called me up one day and he said, I just got my first paycheck. You want to know how much I got paid? I said, nope. <laughs> I don't want to know. That. I said, you're going to tell me anyway, aren't you? He said, yeah. He said, I got paid almost $5,000 for two weeks. And I said, I'll see you October 1st. <laughs> Nice. So I came out here and I worked just north of Fort Mac. I was a laborer and I ran equipment for a while, hmm. you know, just little equipment, like, you know, bobcats and
0: backhoes and stuff right. like that. Yeah, but, Stuff that you don't need to, you know, train years of schooling or anything, just like yeah. certificate level kind of whatever.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I did that for a year and a half, two years. And then you, hmm. in this construction business, everything slows down in the wintertime. Right, yeah. And uh, for I the, got laid off. Yeah. So I got laid off. I hated my job. I did the, you know, three weeks on, one week off. Mm. So you work in a camp for three weeks and 21 days of 12 to 14 hours a day of yeah. being a laborer and getting berated by your foreman because, you know, he's a dick. He was a dick and he was a drunk and he treated everybody like s. And
0: mm. yeah. I find that lifestyle, and for people listening, it's like, it's very common here because we have yeah, the oil and gas, you know, we're in we're in Alberta here and yeah. you, you go up Fort Mac, you work three weeks on or whatever, two weeks on, yeah. it was a 21 days rotation, then you come you come back for seven. Yeah. And a lot of people, you know, you, you're not connecting with your family, nope. you, you're not connecting with your, you know, your partner. Yep. It's a big drug Good. environment. Oh yeah. So I worked there doing the roads for a week and we just went in town one night and had some drinks at the bar or whatever, but you could just... Hearing the stories and talk meeting the locals, or you know, they were pretty much locals at that point. Yep. You, you essentially live there, yeah. your are home inverted commas for one week of, yeah, three, yeah, four weeks, one month cycle. Yeah, I think people go into that thinking, okay, I'll put two years in, make some coin, yeah, come back and set the family up, retire early, and yeah, and life would be good. But you see people that work there, been working there for years, yeah, they've lost their family, Yep. they piss their money away, Yep. they got drug addiction, you know, they've got addicts now to some degree, but they can function because they've been doing it for some years. It's a scary, it's a scary cycle, scary process. Yeah. So you, you, you. But to
1: a lot of people in this province, money is everything. Yeah. Oil and gas is everything. They bleed oil and gas. Yeah. Right. You know, I get that oil and gas, you know, can run an economy, Mm. but it's not the only thing that does it.
0: It's true. Yeah. Especially in this day and age with technology and the way things are going. 100%. Greener options. So you're up there for just a year and a half, two years? Yeah, a
1: year and a half, two years. And I got laid off for Christmas and I flew back home. I stayed with some friends of mine. I didn't really have my own place. Literally, I decided to just live off EI because the way that it works is, you know, you go back to Nova Scotia, but your EI is based on what you made in Alberta. Hmm. And I was pulling in 1200 bucks every two weeks off EI and in Nova Scotia, that's more than you're going to get on
0: any job. I no, so you live comfortably. So, yeah.
1: man, I lived comfortable off EI for mm. a long time, and I did nothing with it. I, you know, I literally I played video games all day, yeah, in and out. But I was also stuck. I was at a point where you know I wanted a career, mm. but I didn't know what I wanted to do. Yeah, you know, I didn't have any options to go back to school at that point. I couldn't get a student loan because you know. Years prior, I had a student loan to take policing and corrections and that went sideways at the end. But that's a story for another day. But I think it was 10 months into my EI, somebody said, well, you know, EI will pay for you to go to school. And I was like, government's not going to pay for me to do anything. And they were like, no, no, serious. There's this course you could take. So, you know, I did some research and yeah, there was this course I could take. Mm. You know, I had to fill out all these papers, get these references, and EI would pay for me to go back to school, and they would pay for my course, and they would pay for my books and pay me $1,200 a month to just show up. To attend. Yeah. It's a good system. And that was like, like I said to myself, I was like, this could be my last chance Mm. to try to, you know, get on the right track. Mm. So that's when I started contemplating what I was going to do for a career, and All I could think of was one conversation that I had with somebody years prior, one of my group home friends at a bus stop. She said to me, you know, if you ever cleaned yourself up and, you know, got on the right track, you'd probably be a really good youth care worker. Mm. That's all I could think about. I couldn't shake it. Yeah. So
0: I decided to, you know, research schools and take child and youth care. Wow. And I was going to ask that question that on because, you know, we work together. And for someone who's been in the system, I mean, who has the best view than yourself?
1: As we come to the end of part one of our talk with George, we want to thank you for tuning into the conversation. In part two, George will delve more into the challenges he faced while working towards a career in child and youth care after his own experience as a youth in the system. Stay tuned. (laughs) Okay, so because my podcast is pretty in the thick of it, I'm willing to take some questions. So you can pretty much ask me whatever you want. I'm a pretty open book. Joel has set up a website so you guys can ask anonymous questions. So I don't need to know who you are. Nobody needs to know who you are. Joel set up a link on a website called Slido. And he put it on the Linktree, so it's on linktree.com/slash/theOmniPodcast. You guys can just go to that link, submit a question, and in the future, when we collect enough questions, I'll be able to come here and answer your questions for you. So it could be about absolutely anything. You can ask me about my life, some of my experiences, you know, how I dealt with different situations. And like I said, in the future, once we gather enough questions, I'll do another podcast, possibly, and we'll go through the questions, and uh, I'll see what kind of advice I can give you. I don't to hear about this. There is wrong. Thanks for listening to the Omni Podcast. You can find all of our streaming and social links at linktree.com/slash/theOmniPodcast. See you next time. Goodbye.